Stem Cells at Lunch Digested is brought to you by the Centre for Stem Cells and Regenerative Medicine at King's College London. So hello everyone, you're listening to the Stem Cells at Lunch Digested podcast. I'm Chris Lambert, a PhD student here at the Centre for Stem Cells and Regenerative Medicine at King's College London. Today we're very lucky to be joined by Dr. Jose Silva from the Welcome MLC Stem Cell Institute at the University of Cambridge. Dr. Silva, thank you very much for joining us today. So our audience is a mix of PhD students, junior postdocs, as well as members of the public. So um, lots of our listeners are often very interested in understanding how you arrived at your role today. So could you give us a little bit of background on your career to date? So sure. Um, I'm Portuguese and I did my bachelor's degree in Portugal. Uh, this was biology. <laughs> then I was enrolled in a PhD program that um, was very generous in the sense that it offered me a full stipend. And then I got in contact with labs, which I have a, a research interest. And uh, that, that was how I moved into the UK, and more precisely to uh, MRC Clinical Science Centre at mm-hmm. Imperial College. And I started doing my PhD there on X-chromosome inactivation mm-hmm. with uh, Professor Neil Brockdorf. I then moved on to Edinburgh to do uh, a postdoc now on nuclear programming with Professor Austin Smith. And um, moved with him back to Cambridge, to the Stem Cell Institute. I, for the first few years, I was continuing my postdoc, but then there was this opportunity to start my own lab then, and, uh, and I've been in Cambridge since uh, 2006 as a group leader working on nuclear reprogramming. That's great. Um, so have you always had an interest in stem cells and nuclear reprogramming, or has that been something that's developed throughout your career? No, actually, having done um, a PhD on X-chromosome inactivation, so uh, an epigenetic background, and then moving to um, a lab studying stem cells, I thought this could be a good combination, um, mm-hmm. using my expertise on epigenetics and uh, trying to address the biology of nuclear reprogramming, which not much was known at the time. But the idea was to reprogram um, differentiated cells back into these uh, embryonic stem cells. And so it was using my expertise on epigenetics combined with the expertise on embryonic stem cells and try to um, really to tackle the biology of nuclear reprogramming. That's great. Could you, in a race of layman's terms, give us an overarching idea of what your lab currently, what streams of research that are ongoing? I'm interested in uh, how we can um, change the cell fate of any cell, being that an embryonic stem cell, um, a skin cell, a muscle cell. So how can we induce the cell fate of this cell into uh, a completely different cell fate? So how to take on an embryonic stem cell and make a skin cell or a brain cell. But I want to do that in a way which does not follow development. I, I want to do that in a direct way, which um, so in theory could speed up um, the process. So I think since the advent of induced pluripotency, we've seen there are, there's more than one way to move from a differentiated to a pluripotent cell. Um, so do you think that going the other way from... Uh, pluripotent cell and differentiated cell, do you think that these developmental processes which have, have kind of given our understanding up to date could be circumvented and we could generate bona fide differentiated cells equally as effectively by different means? So that is still a big question in, in my view. Clearly and uh, the fact that in this pluripotency showed us that it is possible to reprogram any given cell back uh, into this uh, embryonic stem cell identity which a uh, molecular and functionally is equivalent to an in vitro counterpart. You can pick those cells then, put them back into the embryo, and the anti-embryonic development contribute to the adult animal. 
and uh, to all the cells of the adult animal. That made us believe that, that there are many other possibilities. Many labs have been trying to indeed explore uh, these possibilities of um, trying to apply induced sulfate into other contexts. The results that have been mixed, mm -hmm. um, still to date, there are questions regarding whether we can reciprocate what we've done in induced pluripotency in other induced sulfate contexts. I think it will be possible, but um, I do think that we still have a lot to learn. Um, uh, it's not just going to be simply, here is a combination of transcription factors, uh, put them in your fibroblasts and, and make um, a muscle cell. Um, I mean, you can make a, a muscle-like cell, but um, details such as how bona fide that induced sulfate is, um, it, it remains outstanding. There are things that we still don't understand. Definitely. So your lab seems to address quite big incredibly complex questions. Um, what are the tools or the models that you use within the lab? Um, and also maybe the people. I imagine you need a, a wide range of skills, must be quite a multidisciplinary team. Do you employ sort of mathematicians, physicists, chemists to work alongside each other, or are you very strictly sort of develop, developmental biology? So, um, yeah, that is a good question. I, I don't have a big lab. Currently we have four. Of course, more and more uh, our studies are multidisciplinary. And... Um, the way around it is um, you just collaborate and, uh, and indeed we collaborate with diverse labs. We, we can't have all the expertise now. You look at uh, manuscripts and they are more and more complex mm -hmm. and uh, it's just difficult for a single lab to have all the expertises to address a particular problem. So um, indeed we um, seek out collaborators to help us tackle the, the questions we have and uh, yeah those are physicists they are computational biologists yeah they are people from uh, other fields that's great so we we're talking just a little bit before we actually started the podcast that while some of your work up to date may have been looking more at the sort of higher end of stem cell function um, you're actually really interested in seeing how this can be applied um, in the forward programming sense and um, you said you didn't have any sort of specific cell types or maybe sort of a definite um, route for the future but do you think that the IPS or the pluripotent technology will translate into healthcare soon? Because obviously you've been working on this for ah, many um, years. I think it will definitely translate into healthcare. Soon, I think, is a dangerous word. There are already clinical trials in, in progress, but those are of quite limited scope. But I do think that um, with, with more research, you will see more and more this coming into the clinic. But, yeah, coming back to... Um, forward programming um, and um, using prepotent stem cells to try to um, design cell types of interest. I don't have yet a specific focus on uh, what cell types to achieve because um, I will need collaborators for that. I will need someone that understands the physiology, that has the tools to test and validate uh, if you claim you made uh, a metapathic stem cell or a beta cell. Uh, my lab doesn't have that, those expertises. But I do think to get there, you need to get there in a stepwise manner. And the first question we are asking is, um, by time, trying to induce transcription factor in the cell fight, uh, starting from a pluripotent stem cell, what are the consequences to the, to the developmentally regulated programs um, that take uh, place as these pluripotent cells normally differentiate? So what happens 
in a context where you try to bypass this. So we want to do this in a stepwise manner. Uh, I do think we can actually learn a lot on how developmental uh, processes are regulated. And with that, we, we can then envisage new strategies to take us from uh, pluripotent cells into bona fide cell types of interest. Mm -hmm. And do you think with the advent, constant advent of new technology, maybe things that you say you've had in your lab for 10 years that didn't exist when you began, do you feel that's probably a more achievable um, path now than it was? Yes, certainly. Now we kind of have um, this atlas, the molecular characterization of pretty much every single cell, so we know uh, molecularly uh, to what we have to compare that those are very useful tools. But again, these things m may be simple, how to, uh, in this case, induce pluripotency, but to get there, you do need a certain amount of experimentation. So I, I don't think technology alone is going to necessarily resolve that. It's going to help us, uh, but um, you do need them um, really to get to know the cells, to know what happened. You really need to um, learn with um, continuous experimentation. I, I don't think there's going to be this uh, latest technology that uh, is just going to make everything to happen uh, straight away. So that probably ties me into my next question, is what do you sort of envisage mm -hmm. the major challenges within your field being for the next sort of five to ten years? And how do you think they could potentially be overcome? Um, having more translational therapies or just a, a better understanding of cellular reprogramming? So I think in the, in the case of trying to now design cell types of interest, I think we need to take a long-term approach. We do need to do things in a stepwise manner, N not just trying to jump, um, because that may just lead us to constant failure, but we are not learning much. So I do think that um, we need to have uh, an approach where we, we take a, st a more stepwise approach. And I think that is important. I think funders, also researchers expecting that end goal straight away creates false starts and doesn't necessarily lead to uh, the generation of new knowledge. I, I do think that we do need to have a different mentality uh, and, and take a stepwise approach. Um, so do you think that's why you like the mm, basic side of research? That's a, a, that's a very good point. I do basic research not because I'm a basic researcher but because I believe that um, it's the basic research that leads to applied science. Yes, I, I do basic research not because I want to, I'm re reductionist and, and uh, study something really, really tiny. No, it's because I believe that um, for the bigger picture, uh, you do need to study the basic research first so that you build a solid platform with which to then um, do or attempt to do things that are more applied. Definitely, definitely. So what's next for you in your lab? You say you're, there's four of you, you can't ah, a lot. Yeah, what, yeah. What, do you have anything sort of different directions you might be working on. I know that your past has worked on maybe different streams of um, research. Is there anything that you're particularly excited about coming forward? Yes, uh, there are a few things I'm uh, particularly excited coming forward. So um, I'm kind of setting aside um, the biology of induced prepotency, which I've been studying for the last 17 years, <laughs> and I'm moving to other research goals. That is not to say that I'm completely changing. I'm actually taking all the know-how and what I've learned from studying this prepotency. Now I want to apply it into um, creating cell types of interest, starting from uh, uh, prepotent cells, because those are the ones that uh, with normal development can give rise to those, all the cell types in the body. 
So it's, it's just a good uh, starting point. So I, I want to take on that uh, model system. I also have uh, other interests. One of them um, relates to um, trying to create um, synthetic embryos. This is not something uh, quite fashionable, but um, um, labs haven't yet succeeded in creating embryos from the known embryonic stem cells. There is a big push to try to achieve that, but I do think that current em embryonic stem cells, uh, or embryo cells, not embryonic, the ones which are available, they don't yet uh, allow for um, an embryo to be made that can withstand development. I, I do think that um, we do need to use um, cells that better resemble the cells of the embryo to achieve that. And, and that is a problem I'm also um, focusing on. So you think in these sort of naive, more sort of grand states, embryonic stem cells is the, what's required in order to get that? That can potentially be one of the cells, and, but those are, are being used. But you also have um, two other embryo stem cells, which are the, the trophoblast stem cells and also the hypoblast stem cells, which in fact have never been captured in vitro. Mm -hmm. And um, that could be one of the missing links because once you have uh, all these three cell types that um, resemble the cell types of the embryo, then you may be in position to create a synthetic embryo that for the first time can withstand uh, full development. But I, I do think that there are potentially other ways of achieving um, that synthetic embryo, in particular if you start with uh, cells which are precursors of some of those embryo st uh, stem cells. Okay. Um, in terms mm -hmm. of culturing, so synthetic embryos, obviously, uh, in vivo, it's very complicated. Um, so uh, the embryogenesis is incredibly complicated. How do you recapitulate that within the lab? We talked earlier, some of my work looks at trying to grow these organoids in 3D structures. Yeah. Do you employ similar uh, methodology or have you got some sort of unique way of culturing? So I think the first question would be um, using new types of embryo stem cells. Can you make uh, an aggregate of cells that can self-assemble into an embryo-like structure? Uh, but then instead of... Um, just culturing this embryo in vitro, you can ask the question if this uh, self-assembled structure um, is developmental competent. And for that, you just put it at an early stage uh, straight back mm -hmm. into a recipient um, host uh, animal um, to test whether that embryo has developmental potential. Then, of course, once you know how to create these synthetic embryos, I guess you can try to develop methodology to extend uh, the time uh, which you can keep them in vitro and um, and also try uh, to make the, that embryo to uh, follow as much as possible uh, normal development. This may be sort of slightly less science-based question. What do you sort of enjoy most about your role? Obviously, you've been PhD student to postdoc now to a group leader. I mean, what is it about your job now which you most enjoy? Um, are you still quite? Do you still work in the lab hands-on? Um, what I enjoy the most is pretty much the same thing, but now I'm fortunate to have um, a few people doing different experiments at the same time. When I was a PhD or postdoc, it was just me, in a way, right? Uh, but what really gets me excited is um, you have a crazy idea, and you test that crazy idea, and it's that um, anxiety to get to know the result. If indeed you got it right with your crazy idea, which most of the times you don't, it's, it's really, really a buzz, and that buzz is... Uh, really um, what I enjoy the most. So when you're not spending your time in the lab or with your lab group, um, what do you like doing? What, how do you...? I'm not 
on the bench anymore. Um, I prefer to um, keep my time to talk to everyone. I think if I was to spend time on the bench with all of the other duties uh, that API has, you end up ignoring the people in your lab. So I, I do think that that could be detrimental for them. I left the bench and uh, I tried to give a bit of myself to everyone in the lab, mostly troubleshooting, but also with the design of ideas. Um, mm -hmm. And of course, depending at what stage they are with um, participation. Um, and outside of work, what do you like to do? Do you travel? Do you play sport? Or? I do a bit of traveling, uh, but that's probably my wife that uh, travels most outside. I have to say that now I'm a father of a three-year-old. Oh, yeah. oh, very busy. Uh, that, that is uh, my almost entire job outside uh, the lab, which I really enjoy being a father. Yeah. That's great. Well, thank you, Richard, for joining us no, today. That's you. all we've got time for. Um, and thanks to our listeners. I'm really looking forward to listening to your uh, talk later on. I'm sure thank you. Be great. Um, so you've been listening to Stem Cells at Lunch Digested. Um, please join us next time where we'll have another interesting talk for you. Thank you. Thank you.